Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Yeah, it's a week where the feel-good global football story is about an Australian, but unfortunately, it's got nothing to do with the Socceroos or Matildas. Hello and welcome to episode 10 of The Gagan Pod. David Wiener with you, joined today by another great panel. Kicking it off, Richard Bayless, welcome. Hello, Dave. Uh, I'd like to start by announcing something, Ooh. if that's okay. I know this isn't really the forum for announcing things, but um, I'm retiring from professional football. It's a day for non-professional footballers to announce it, and I think I'll join the chorus. Give yourself a wrap. Joining an elite group today <laughs> of R. Bayless and you Bolt. I'm not retiring because I'm never giving up the dream. I'm going to be kicking it around the field of dreams at the park forever. That- well, we have someone who knows a little bit about that story with us today as well. We've got a big week in Australian football, so we've brought in a resident former Socceroos captain to help us dissect that. Paul Oaken, welcome to your Gagampod debut. Welcome, guys. Thank you. Now, you're looking very t- tanned and relaxed. Where have you been the last few weeks? I've been in Miami. Enjoying a bit of a, a bit of sun there, it seems. Yeah, a little bit of sun. It's winter, but still some great weather. Taking in the sport? Yeah, went and watched a few NBA games, went and watched the NFL. Um, MLS season was done, so um, yeah, just following the other sports, I guess. If you could take one thing from American sport to bring back to Australia, what would that be? Um, yeah, probably um, how expensive it is uh, <laughs> at, uh, at, uh, at the NFL and, and, and at the basketball. Um, I've uh, had friends complain that uh, the hot dog and the – and the Coke at Allianz Stadium was expensive, but uh, certainly not as expensive as what I experienced uh, at the Miami, Miami Dolphins game. Triple figures, you were telling us. Yeah, a couple of pizzas and two Cokes, over 100 bucks. So, <laughs> um, yeah, broke the bank a bit. Maybe wait until Allianz is <laughs> <Yeah>. redone. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you bring the tailgate, the old you know, barbecue out the back of the boot and, and for, for the next A-League game we see you at, perhaps. Um, also, welcome back to a Gag and Pod regular, Luke Wilkshire. Good to see you. Yeah, good to be here again. Thanks, mate. And what have you been up to? How's your pre-season with the Wolves going down in Wollongong? Yeah, it's funny you say that. We had our first friendly game the other day. Um, yeah, we got up 2-0 against the Indigenous Australian team. It was a great day of football, but unfortunately not quite the performance I wanted from the boys, even though we got the victory. Dusting the boots off at all or just watching from the sideline? No, no, I'm on the other side of the white line nowadays, so I think my, I'm also officially retiring from football along with Usain oh, and Rich. Two of it, three of us. <laughs> oh, I'm still living the dream, boys. I'm not giving up. I'm not giving up. Now, as we said, it's been a pretty tumultuous week in the world of Australian football, so we're going something different from the start today. We're going to put a smile on all your faces. Um, you may have heard of the Australian parents and their pictures with Paul Pogba and Emmanuel Matic, which went viral, but... To pick up the story, we're not going to tell you the story. We're going to go to the man who broke Twitter, literally broke Twitter with 68,000 likes on his narration of the story. Nate Patrick is on the line and has found time for us amongst a roll call of 48 hours of media commitments. How are you, Nate? Welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Thanks, Dave. Thanks, boys. Can you pick up the story for us and basically your WhatsApp exchange on the Patrick family WhatsApp group? Uh, as embarrassing as it is, yes, I would actually love to share it. Uh, not a football or sport fan in the Paul Patrick family, except for myself, really. I've uh, sort of experienced that my whole life. Come home from playing soccer on the weekend, and want to talk about it, and just no real reception or interest. Uh, nothing's changed. I'm 30 years old now. It's still the same. Mum and dad are in England, so I've been trying to get them to go to a Premier League game or something, and that's not been happening one little bit. Uh, and then I start getting these messages from them. All a bit confusing at first. They're on a train from Manchester into London, uh, and they're quite, you know, quiet people, I guess you could say. And there was a bunch of, uh, well, I guess, what they'd call unrowdy youths in the carriage with them playing Uno. I don't really understand how uh, heated or loud a card game can get, but apparently it was enough to bother my parents a little bit. My dad would sort of turn around and shoot a few dirty looks here and there. Uh, and as the train was coming to a stop, 
these uh, uni students, is what my dad thought they were, came up and sort of <laughs> apologised and said, uh, you know what, we, we were a little heated, a little excited. My mate here, uh, this guy with a bit of a French accent, points to his mate and says, he kept losing all the time, so I made a bit of fun of him. But yeah, we're really sorry. We made a bit of noise. Would you like a photo? My dad's like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's quite nice. So he hands this gentleman his phone to take a photo of him and my mum. Uh, and this guy's sort of looking at him like, no, that's, that's not what I mean. Would you like a photo with me? My dad's just giving him the like, crazy eyes, like, why, why is this a university And he's a nice, respectful man, though, my dad. He's a nice guy. And so he sort of obligingly takes the photo. Uh, and I'm just reading through this WhatsApp group, step by step, getting there. And eventually the photo comes through saying, Nathan, would you happen to know who this is? And it's Paul Pogba and the man Jamadic in this coach. They're not university students. They are Manchester United footballers uh, begging my dad to take a photo. And my dad was trying to get Paul Pogba to take a photo of him. And so I'm losing it at this point. I'm all caps lock. Seriously, guys, do not understand. Paul Pogba like, just won the World Cup with France. Uh, to understand how much of a big deal this is. Uh, I sort of get a few comments. And then they're like, oh, when we got off the train, we saw this really cute dog. And they start sending through pictures of the dog. I'm like, no, 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 no. Can we go back? Back, 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 back. Um, but unfortunately, yeah, it was about the dog now. And I think at that point I'd got on Twitter uh, to try and maybe vent a bit of frustration or at least get people to understand. Is there anyone out there who has parents that don't maybe share the same interests? Uh, and, yeah, it appears it might have resonated with one or two people. Might have struck a chord. How many times have you told that story since Sunday? Uh, I'd say about two dozen times. Um, hopefully it's relatively the same each time. But, uh, look, it's not too often you have a tale uh, that has a World Cup winning player in it, uh, one as well-known as Paul Potter. So, Glad to be able to share it. All right, so how have you dealt with your brush with fame? Who Who is the most random or person you've spoken to or had hit you up or the most starstruck you've been and, and what are the types of things you've you've been requested to do over the last couple of days well it is a general uh, retelling of the story but of course people wanting to know more about mum and dad they are the real stars so i'm not under any impression that it's about me it's all about those two uh, had they ever watched a football game before could they get along to a game i've had a few clubs offer them tickets to a game uh, to come in and watch, and they're sort of like, oh, we're a bit busy over the next few weeks. I'm like, come on, guys. You're still not getting it. They don't hand out free tickets to anybody. Um, personally, though, in terms of Twitter and who's been interacting, uh, Bob's the Matilda's captain, is obviously someone I admire a lot and has followed and joined in there. Uh, Gary Lineker, as well, obviously, the um, former English professional footballer and now pundit, uh, has been recommending it. I think those are probably the two main names that stand out. But yes, a, a bunch of various footballing and uh, gaming celebrities. Well, we've got some great news for you, Nate. We won't offer your parents tickets to a Premier League game, but we will offer them tickets to the London Dog Show if they're interested in going to the <laughs> weekend. That is probably exactly the type of thing that they'd buy that. So thanks very much, Rich. How are they dealing with their brush with fame? Surely they're at least somewhat Manchester United fans now. Well, they, uh, again, didn't quite realise how much of a big deal this was until they started seeing their faces on the front of editorials and newspapers and publications. Uh, and at that point, I did call them to sort of be like, do you get it now? Do you get that meeting Paul Pogba just doesn't happen to everyone? There's people that hunt him down uh, for as long as they can. And so I think they're sort of getting that, but I honestly think you put them back on that train with those same bunch of people. I do wonder if they'd recognise them. I wonder if we'd just have the same thing over again and they'd be looking at them like, is that is that Paul Pogba <laughs> from two days ago? And we'd start this whole thing again. Uh, that lovely man. Uh, yeah, I don't hold high hopes. Peter Pogba. <laughs> <laughs> it hurts. It hurts deep. <laughs> well, Nate, thanks for sharing your story. Thanks for taking your time with us. And I guess enjoy the ride of the next couple of days while uh, the social media train takes its course. And, uh, you know, you never know. Maybe when Manchester United come out here in the middle of the year, you know, you might get, you might get a run on the field with them or something. Look, I'd just love to be able to go and watch them while they're over here. But in the meantime, I'll be watching on an office sport. Oh, good play. Good <laughs> man. All right, mate. Thanks for joining us. Chat to you later. Thank you. I, I love just how, you know, Paul Pogba, just that humility. I mean, yeah, at one point he was the most expensive player in the world. He's won a World Cup. He's in great form at the moment. But even though a, a rowdy game of, you know, could have been an awkward uh, position to be in, he 
offered him. So it's a little bit interesting in terms of his ego to offer a photo of himself. But by all reports, the guy's lovely in person. So it's a good story to hear. But isn't it also funny how they're sitting there playing that game and then they realise they probably have been a bit loud. And they're living this life now where they think, okay, we're going to do the right thing and offer that picture. But almost it just shows that anything a player does these days at that level, and you've all been, you've both been former players, it can end up in a, in a media storm, positive or negative. We've almost always got to be switched on to that game, don't you? Yeah, for sure, 100%. You're always under the watchful eye and, you know, lucky enough they didn't know who they were at the time. I just found it very interesting and funny, the fact that he offered a photo and, and the pizza old man <laughs> <laughs> giving him his phone and said, yeah. And, but uh, the fact that Pogba actually said, no, no, with me, I can imagine the, the thoughts were running through his head when you don't know who the hell it is. <laughs> Jose couldn't put him in his place, but Nate Patrick's dad could. Exactly. How, how good is that? Well, guys, as I said, we wanted to go with a feel-good story to start because it has been a very, very busy week in Australian football since the last episode of the Gagan Pod. And that has included Australia's Asian Cup campaign where it was a nil-all draw over 120 minutes with Uzbekistan. In the round of 16, Australia is through the quarterfinals on penalties thanks to Matty Ryan's heroics. Uh, two saves in the penalty shooter, emulating his hero, Mark Schwarzer. Um, Socceroos captain Paul Oak, former Socceroos captain Paul Ocon, your impressions, your honest impressions of the Asian Cup campaign so far? Look, uh, it hasn't, uh, I don't think it's, it's has been exciting to watch. Um, yeah, of course, we're in the quarterfinals. Uh, so... You could say that uh, the job is being done, but uh, you know, I'm sort of looking at it uh, with different glasses probably to most people. Um, you know, I don't see uh, the way we're playing is, is fluent. Um, I'm, I'm, to be honest, I, I'm not really enjoying watching the Socceroos play. Um, yeah, maybe part of that is the fact that uh, most teams at the Asian Cup are, are setting up defensively, so already from the start of the game you can see that it's – uh, uh, you can already predict what's going to happen. Um, Australia's going to have most of the ball and they're going to have to try and break down the opposition. But it's, um, it's, been, it's been quite slow uh, for my liking. Um, you know, a lot of uh, sideways and, and backward passes. Is that a consequence of the way the opposition's set up? Um, probably a, a big factor. Um, but, um, you know, I, I, if I go... Uh, on the Uzbekistan game, I, I never really had the feeling that we were going to score um, um, goals. So I felt like if we could have, could have gone for two more days and it still would have been nil all. Yeah, so from, from that perspective, you know, probably a little bit disappointing. Um, you know, we did lose some important players before the tournament, whether or not that's uh, got something to do with it. Um, you know, certainly like uh, you know, Daniel Arzani would have come in handy given the fact that teams are are very defensive against the, the Socceroos, but uh, certainly um, you know, a lot of improvement, I think. Does that mean the difference between this current Socceroos and previous iterations of the team purely comes down to quality? Because the way that opposition teams have set up this tournament isn't particularly different to what we've seen in these tournaments before from smaller nations. We expect to have to break down a compact and stacked defence, don't we? I mean, surely it just comes down to us not having that ultimate quality that we probably need to win a major tournament. Yeah, probably. Uh, well, if you look at the way we're playing now, both our fullbacks are getting very high. You know, the wingers are inside, almost like, uh, you know, another number nine. Mm. Um, we've, we've So it's, it's an offensive style of play. And, and we saw Sydney FC under Arnie, you know, couple of seasons break records score you know a lot of goals so it's not a defensive way of playing it's very very attacking but we just don't really look like uh, you know we're gonna score goals um, and for me that that is a little bit concerning look you said before the tournament in this in this very studio that the minimum expectation was making the final whether or not Australia, Australia is still on course despite some underwhelming displays but notwithstanding that what do you assess of where we're at now as a result of these forced, largely uninspiring displays? Yeah, look, definitely we're still on course. Uh, we're still in the tournament. We're in the quarterfinals, obviously, you know, like Paolo said there, not not by really, you know, impressing in terms of performance-wise, but we've got the results. We've got there. Um, you know, they say a sign of a good team is that you win when you're playing playing poorly, and I think that's the case. I think, like I said, that you come down to quality. Uh, you've lost the likes of Azani, Moy. Boyle before the tournament that have that sort of quality and that ability to unlock defences, but it can't be used as an excuse. Um, I think, you know, knowing Arnie and, and, and again on what Paolo said about Sydney, I've seen how he likes to play with the fullbacks getting high and it's an attacking 
um, sort of formation that he likes to play. And so I think ultimately it comes down to that, that lack of quality. I hope that now that Leckie is back, um, he can bring that little bit of a spark to the team. He did make a massive difference. Would you change anything, Paul? Would, is, is the approach that Arnie has taken the right one? Is it too predictable? Um, if you had the chance to make one change to the side, given the injuries that have happened and given the current context, what would you do? No, look, I don't. I don't think uh, in terms of tactically the way it's set up that it, that it needs to change. I just think that the execution of it, uh, probably the speed of play um, could be a, a little bit quicker. And when, when you know that uh, the opposition is just going to sit behind the ball, um, it, you do need to move the ball quicker. Um, but in saying that, there's also that uh, other side of the game um, that a lot of people probably neglect, and that's you know, when you do lose the ball. Um, and the, the, the hardest thing when you do play uh, in Asia against these teams that are so defensive is that you, you almost have to be the, the team that scores first because, as you, we saw in the Jordan game, once they score, uh, most of those teams are very difficult. Yeah, they become, it becomes even more difficult to, to break them down. So uh, there's that uh, mental part of the game that uh, um, can't be neglected, how difficult it is that uh, it just can't all be, you know, we've got to score, score, score. You have to have that um, caution in your mind as well that uh, – um, you don't lose the ball in certain areas, uh, which may be the reason why uh, at times the game is, is a little bit slow. Rich, the, the thing is, uh, as a fan, I suppose, or we work in the media, but ultimately we weren't former players, so we, are, we were once fans as well. And, and the Socceroos are a team that you want to hold an aura for, for the country or, or, or you know, be up on that pedestal as something to aspire and look up to. These have been tough games to watch. And the thing that I wonder, and I wonder if you've had the same thought, is, is I look at the side and go, I know Arnie's playing with those three nines, and, and, but I can't define this team. I can't pin anything down on this team. I can't see how this team's inspiring a nation. Um, how do you feel watching, watching these games? Well, you're right, Dave. I'm, I'm not a player. I retired a bit <laughs> earlier today. But <laughs> as a fan, yeah, it's, it's tough. And, and you kind of feel for Arnie because obviously he's been dealt injuries and, and the preparation wasn't ideal because a lot of the injuries came really late or came into the tournament. He won't have Tom Rogic now. So continuity hasn't been ideal. And you wonder how different the squad might be where everyone, if everyone was fit. But still on the balance, you know, you go back over the past sort of 10, 15 years, I can't remember watching a Socceroos team without being as motivated or, you know, really interested to see how they're going. I sort of feel as though the magic has gone a little bit, probably because we've seen teams set up more negatively than this Socceroos team. As Paolo says, you know, the actual style of play is fine and maybe it needs to be a bit quicker, but... We've seen maybe in the Verbeek era there were some teams that weren't as great to watch in terms of what they had. But in terms of the players they had, they had guys that could break it open. You know, you had Kuhl, Cahill, Bresciano. Wilkshire. Know, Wilkshire, um, to name <laughs> but a few. And I'm just across from you. <laughs> exactly. So it's, you know, I guess without that star power there, of course, we've lost some key men over the past four years since the last time. We've lost Bresciano, Yedinak, Cahill. You know, maybe it's just hard to get behind them at the moment because the players don't have the star power and that doesn't necessarily impact on the style of play or the results but this tournament as a whole hasn't necessarily garnered that same kind of support time zone doesn't help it has to be said no. and it's a difficult tournament to win team set up to be defensive they're never going to be 5-4 goal fests we're not going to see that between now and the final but i think it's just a combination of factors means that it's um it's just not as exciting at the moment as it has been my sympathy for uh, what uh, the cardani has been dealt is to see the difference matt lecky made when he came on and he looked like at times running at the defense was almost men against boys and then you think about a team that might have had aaron moy in it tom rogage in front of him Finding that combination with Lecky, you're changing the whole dynamic of it, but there's no excuses at a national team level as well. And Matty Ryan's save, that inspiring. It conjures images of the great days and hopefully we can build off that and create that emotion and build on things like, you know, the guts of Robbie Cruz's penalty, brilliant in that shootout and that type of thing. And I hope they're the, the stories and the narratives and, and, and the hero images that can come through. But at the moment, it is a little bit about out of sight, out of mind. One other small thing as well. I mean, we're talking about the team as if they exist in a vacuum. Sadly, they don't. They exist in a football landscape at the moment in this country that's not great for various other reasons. I'm sure we'll touch on some of them later in the podcast. But, you know, you think of the negativity in the game over the past 6, 12, 18 months – 
you know, this team maybe isn't given the opportunity to thrive or really kind of excite people the way that you would like them to. I think they're operating in an interesting kind of time at the moment in the game. And thank goodness they did get through in that shootout because I couldn't have imagined a more uh, unfortunate 24 hours in the game if they didn't. Gents, we're going to move on to a range of topics as we do every week to churn through some of the biggest issues in the world of football. I'm going to get you guys to finish this sentence. And uh, we start, Paul, with Tottenham Hotspur. Um, Tottenham without... Kane, Son, Ali, we'll throw Sissoko in there as well, are in big trouble. <laughs> Can they sustain the push of not just Manchester United, but will they, will they remain in the top four? Can Pochettino ride this ship? Oh, I think it's going to be very difficult. This was always going to be uh, the danger moment for Tottenham, given the fact that uh, they don't have the depth that probably some of the other teams in and around that top four have um, was... Uh, at the time where a lot of games are being played, could they keep their best players on the park? And uh, you know the names that you've just rattled off uh, says it all. And I, I think uh, it's going to be a tough little period for uh, for Pochettino. In the same breath, Rich, you look at we. Everyone wanted to give him the benefit of doubt of January of not signing anyone in the summer. It has come to pay its toll. And in the same breath, I ask you this: Fernando Lorente is. <laughs> Unfortunate. I mean, <laughs> he's not that bad of a striker. He hasn't been given the opportunities because he's got a guy in front of him who is the club talisman. But obviously, scoring an own goal at the weekend against Fulham's not the best way to introduce yourself when you'll be given the number nine spot for a couple of months. But, you know, this is where Pochettino might just come into his own because, yeah, they didn't sign anyone. But what he's done with youth at that club is so good. He's got players in the wings. They're going to be given an opportunity now because, you know, three of the front four aren't there. Let's just see because, you know, they all respond to what Pochettino does. Even Llorente, after a, an ordinary afternoon out at Craven Cottage, I'm sure he'll bounce back as well. So, you know, you look at Chelsea, Arsenal and United, they're not without their issues. Uh, but, you know, it'll be tough for Tottenham to mm. hang on. Well, you look at someone like George Kevin Quados who set up uh, Harry Wings for the goal. That was his first assist in I don't know how long and his first game in I don't know how long. So that's his challenge now. Pochettino to prove himself as a master of that thin squad but make it as deep as possible. Um Luke, Kevin Prince-Boateng, if you haven't caught up with this news, he's just moved from Sassuolo to Barcelona. So his move from Sassuolo to Barcelona is... Unbelievable. It's, I'm in shock. I'm in shock. I, um, you know, obviously, he's been around. I think we had this conversation, how many ex-Portsmouth players have, <laughs> have moved on to go to Barcelona. And the fact that he, you know, he's, he has been around in his age to, to get a move at that point in your career to FC Barcelona is just... I'm gobsmacked. For context, 31 years old. 10 years ago, he was at Tottenham. He's been at Hertha Berlin, Dortmund, Portsmouth, as you mentioned. Gone to Sassuolo and they've plucked him there to be Luis Suarez's deputy at Barcelona. He's living a charmed life. And he's not even a striker. <laughs> he's been playing as a false... Yeah, he has, for he, has, he has played as a, as a standing uh, striker, but uh, yeah, I'm not sure he even fits into the style of play uh, of Barcelona, so... Um, I wouldn't say it's a panic uh, uh, choice um, from Barcelona um, because they've obviously you know, identified that he can uh, do a job for them, but certainly um, given the way they play um, and knowing Kevin Prince-Browatang and, and his qualities, uh, yeah, geez. Very, very, very puzzling, that one. It's almost as if they've consulted Luis Suarez himself and said, who should we get in to be your backup? <laughs> I'm surprised they didn't call you up before your retirement. Then he's not yeah, someone that wasn't going to threaten him. It's too late now. Gents, did you ever sit in a dressing room where someone's walked in and you just thought, how on earth has this guy walked into this club? Well, look, for me, um, yeah, I guess you could, you could probably say when I was at Dino in Moscow and we signed Kevin Karani, who just finished top goal scorer in the German Bundesliga, and, and this is a guy who had offers from Liverpool, Juventus, and God knows how many else, and he's, uh, yeah, turned up in our Dynamo Moscow changing room, and obviously we had an idea why. Um, so yeah, <laughs> it, was a, it was a pleasant surprise and nice to see someone like him and Andre Veronin step into the changing room. That's, that's great. Hey, Paul, um, after a £45 million payday to Guangzhou Evergrande fell through, Marco Anatovic would be... A little disappointing. <laughs> devastated. <laughs> devastated. And talking about, we know why Kevin Kirani, Kirani would have been very happy at Dynamo Moscow. How would, on the other side of the fence, Arnautovic be going in the dressing room at West Ham? And he's such a big player in that dressing room too. Look, he, he, I know him. I knew him as a young kid. 
uh, play with an FC20 and the kind of character he is and the way he is, he will be absolutely fuming and he won't be afraid to show it. That's for sure. Okay, so Manuel Pellegrini's got a big challenge on his hand here. He, he's uh, he's one that's got a got opinion of himself and he's not afraid to let it run out. It'd be so hard to be a West Ham fan because, you know, they've got ambitions to crack the top six, to play in Europe regularly. They've moved into a big stadium, which pretty much justifies that. But they've gone through the Dimitri Payet saga mm. with a player who is their best player, far and away, wanting out of there, and now the same with Arnautovic. You'd almost prefer to just have lesser names who gel as a team rather than go after these big names. Because remember, West Ham spent a fair bit of money. They've gone for the big name players, but it's yet to really work for them. And Anatovic is such a key player that you, you almost you don't want it to unravel the whole season. When particularly, some would argue they're probably the best team outside the top six or the most informed team outside the top six at the moment. The next challenge there is someone like Declan Rice, who's a youngster that comes through and then they may see him then move on and have a similar situation as well. So tough, tough times there um, in the transfer market when you're a West Ham fan. We'll end this segment off, Rich, with one that I don't think it's got your name on it, but I'll ask you anyway. Marcelo Bielsa's 66-minute PowerPoint discussion in response to Spygate was... Hilarious. And the best thing about this is that it's flushed out all these old-school English... Oh, how dare you come into this... Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. ...country and tell us how to run the game types. You know, the amount of mm. coaches that have come out offended by this because they've kind of got all self-conscious and self-aware and said, no, no, we, we do this kind of analysis as well. Dean Saunders, uh, of all people on TalkSport, said, no, I was doing this in non-league football. It's nothing out of the ordinary. I just think it's great the way that he has, I think, inadvertently trolled English football. I, I mean, I, I put the shoe on the other foot. Let's just say... Frank Lampard and Derby were spying on Leeds and Bielsa. What do you think the reaction would have been from the public? I mean, first of all, Bielsa wouldn't complain because he's quite openly and honestly given other teams information about his, so there wouldn't be a complaint from the club. But number two, I reckon the English media would say, oh, our Frank, how good is he? He's doing everything he can to get a competitive advantage and be a great manager moving forward. I just think, you know, there's some... Themes around this whole story that are a little bit unsavoury, but as a Leeds fan, I just find it hilarious because the guy is an absolute genius. He's open with information. He admitted to spying on every club in the championship. And while ever they're on top of the table, I'm going to be laughing about it. But, you know, if they start sliding, don't ask me yeah. about it. The English media, they love a little jab. So, of course, when they lost on the weekend, they said, oh, did the fact you didn't send a spy this week, was that the reason why you didn't win? But, Paul... Uh, You've been a coach. The, the, the thing that probably you have to take with a grain of salt is everyone does have that level of analysis. What did you make of it as a as a former Leeds player as well yourself and an ex-coach? Was it just a, a good bit of theatre or was this brilliant the way Marcelo Bielsa sort of twisted the narrative a little bit? Oh, look, I just think it's the English press trying to, you know, make something of it. Um, yeah, look, I, I think a lot of people have gone on record saying it's it's what happens in football. Um you try and gather information on, on the opposition. How you do it, I think, is, is irrelevant. Um, um, you know, this person was, I believe, uh, even dressed in a Legion United tracksuit. Um, so they weren't trying to um, go undercover, so to speak. Um, so, yeah, from my perspective, I, I, I really don't see, uh, you know, anything wrong with it. You, you try and gain an edge on your opposition and how you do it, uh, as long as... Um, yeah, I think you, you, you're within the rules to do that. If you don't do it, why don't you do it? I mean, it's so naive. You know, here, Sydney FC train, not too far from where we're sitting, they've got a big hill around their training ground. Just walk up and watch. Punters go to watch all the time. It's naive to think that this doesn't happen, and it certainly should happen. If you want to win games of football, there's a lot of money riding on it. The reaction has been funny, I think. Mate, you look, you, you go away to Champions League games and you're doing your, your last session here in a stadium in a foreign country. You know, you'd be crazy to think that there's not someone there or a video camera somewhere in the stadium having a look at what you're doing. And coaches are aware of that. They're aware of that people will be watching and, and sometimes they won't fully show what they're, what they're intended to do in that, that situation unless they know it is fully closed and safe. So 
look, each of their own. I think, like I say, you've got to go and get that little edge, um, little 1% here and there. Everyone's looking for it. Media does love a spy drama. And I remember in San Pedro Sula before Socceroos versus Honduras, the FFA media team uh, had, a, had a drone that was just taking beautiful panoramic images of the, of, of, of the city and it was hovering over the Honduras training session. And next thing you know, that's a front page media storm of a spying scandal in the Honduras press the next day. And it actually dominated the narrative for pretty much all the way through to full time. Um, but I did have to have a chuckle that Arnie referenced Bielsa before the Uzbekistan game and said, look, our level of tactics and scouting is Bielsa like and then post game said he was surprised by Uzbekistan's tactics of sitting back so I don't know what happened with his flying there but I had a good chuckle over that okay gents moving on to we're going to stick then with that Australian football theme and on Saturday we got up normal day normal day in the in the in the world of Australian football and then we see Alan Stajic has been is about to be punted as Matilda's boss, a mere five months away from the World Cup. Now, there's only so many ways you can frame this discussion, given that, unfortunately, the way the announcement was handled, there has been so much he said, she said after that. Your reaction when you heard the news and your read on the situation? I think the reaction since has been telling. You know, a lot of people have seen the Matildas as the darlings of Australian football and maybe the one bright... Spark, uh, you know, admits a fair bit of negativity over the past couple of years, as we mentioned before. So it's a, it's a shame that it's come to this point so close to the World Cup. That's the first reaction. And obviously then people want to know why. And because they weren't presented with the why at the press conference, the speculation grows. And while ever that innuendo grows, it's not healthy, not only for Alan Stadjic, not only for the team and the FFA, but also for the game. This is lingering over the game in the middle of a season with a yes. World Cup five months away. So the timing is infuriating as a football fan. We spoke about before what it's like as a Socceroos fan to watch them when they're sort of struggling at the moment but still winning. Imagine being a Matildas fan getting excited about the World Cup and having to deal with this and all the garbage that's gone online since. You know, forget about agendas, forget about timing, forget about what happened. It's just the fact that it has happened is really annoying because it's already been admitted essentially that wasn't a one-off incident. He wasn't sacked because of an incident. Okay, so it's it's a cultural thing that's happened amassed over a period of time. Why now? Why didn't it happen six months ago, 12 months ago? The Matildas had a realistic chance of making at least the semi-final at the World Cup. And I say had with past tense mm. because as we sit here right now, it is unthinkable that they could win the World Cup. Yeah, look, I, I, I tend to agree with Richard. I, I, I um, find it hard to understand uh, uh, why now, why so, so close to the World Cup and... Uh, um, you know, if it's uh, been ongoing and it's it's uh, it's been said that it, it's a, a you know a toxic environment or a, a cultural problem, that doesn't that doesn't happen overnight. That happens over a, over a period. And uh, one thing I do know, having worked uh, for FFA as a young soccer coach, after any game or any tournament that you play in as a as a as a head coach, uh, you have to fill out a report and. Uh, um, you come together as a, as an organisation and you and you discuss the good things and the bad things and what needs to improve. So uh, my question is, uh, when they all got together, why weren't they able to discuss these things and and fix them if if they were a, an issue? Because that's the reason why you you uh, um, come together. This is why you fill out these reports. This is why uh, you discuss. Um, uh, those things because to try and make things better, to try and improve if if, if uh, there are issues. So um, it's hard to to understand uh, why so close to a World Cup would you would you uh, you know come up with a decision uh, like this? It's also odd when you look at it that when his re- contract was renewed in 2016, words from David Gallup were along the lines of "We're so glad an Australian has built this culture in." The Matilda setup, and now it's the culture that's toxic. Yeah, look, uh, you know, like everyone, I think everyone's everyone's curious and frustrated, and no one understands. It's all up in the air. I think it's very strange that you know can't stop touching on the timing of it all. Um, whether that timing also coincides with the fact that there's a new board at FFA. Um, you know, look, I think if you looked at the results, uh, what Stadge has produced, it shocks you because because clearly. Uh, you know, he was getting the results. He Number had the, six he, in the world. He had the team going. Everyone was looking forward to the World Cup. And I wonder if the fact that, you know, this new board has not been in too long, that had a, that had something to do with it. You know, Richie, I think you used the word before disappointing or I'm not remember what else. I'm actually heartbroken. And I look at it because 
Australia went to a men's World Cup last year with a coach that was there almost cramming for an exam. So we, we botched that once in a generation opportunity for that team. Here we've got a once in a lifetime opportunity for an Australian football side at youth or opens level to do something at a World Cup. And this team, let's face it, their aim would have been a minimum sort of quarter semi-final beyond appearance. And they have now been turned and you, you call them like a, you know, something to look forward to. They were a beacon of light in not just Australian football, but Australian sport and have now been turned into a soap opera and a, and almost like schoolyard Chinese whispers. I saw one person on social media who created a table and divided the plays into who had supported Stadge and who hadn't supported Stadge. This is a, a, a unfathomable situation and I also look at it and I go these camps have been going on for some time so we can't sit here and make any speculation so let's look at it straight down the barrel and as a disclaimer of course Alan sat in this studio a couple of weeks ago as a podcast guest so let's look at it straight down the barrel if these issues had been ongoing then how did the people that had overseen that he reports to let it go until this point so we're talking not to sabotage another World Cup campaign so we're talking 2017 we're talking 2018 and if those things went on, how did it let it go to this point? And then if he did nothing and it's not as clear as black and white, why now? And that's what upsets me in the sense that um, we've probably lost an opportunity that we may not get again in our, in our lifetime. I think it's really important as well to consider some social issues around women's sport and women's game because obviously there's a lot of momentum behind not only the Matildas but women's sport in Australia and the world, which is really important. But it sounds as though what's maybe happened in terms of that culture is kind of a bit of a gender divide, right? Because obviously we want the female teams and players to be held to the same standard as the men across the board. We want equality. But if ultimately what's gone wrong in terms of that you know, that culture being eroded somewhat, if that purely comes down to things like, you know, perceived bullying, um, fat shaming, which is a, a phrase I've heard, and also homophobia, three things no one wants in society, but I guess it all comes down to interpretation and perception. They're not Ultimately, black and white. They're, they're not black and white to sack right now. No, they're, they're not, and no one wants those things as they're described in any setup in the world. But as long as male and female sport is held to the same account, I think – hopefully we'll get the truth and hopefully the team is being respected in the way you would imagine. Mm. And I think just to wrap it up, the thing that upsets me the most is that it does divide the game and you've literally got the game divided now into people who are in either camp of, well, believe the FFA because they would have done it for a reason now. And then you got the camp that go, we don't actually trust FFA and we want to know why. We want to know why. And the fact that the Monday afternoon press conference where David Gallup tried to almost end it early, has created this innuendo, has actually painted Alan Stajic in a light that needs clarity. And I think that's the other thing that's really important is his name was put through the mud. So if he was sacked for football and sort of dressing room reasons, well, he was dragged through the mud by the way the announcement was handled by, by the Federation. So it's just been a completely uh, awful period of time. And, and the, the most annoying thing about it is we haven't heard the end yet uh, and we haven't necessarily also heard why he wasn't afforded a due process or some counseling or some reflection as you mentioned paul in terms of why um why now and why not something that you can approve on and why we have to sabotage a world cup campaign so it's watch this space a big issue um and uh let's just hope that the matildas as they said in that statement overnight can galvanize and, and recover their world cup campaign um Watch this space. All right, let's pick up the mood. He said what? All right, guys, we're going to play you. Well, do, do that again to pick up the mood one more he time. He said what? There we go. All right, now, um, in, in the Premier League. Who is that? <laughs> he said what? Fantastic stuff from our uh, producer hovering over my shoulder right now. Well done, Paul. Um, I'm going to play you a grab from Maritza Sari in the Premier League talking about dressing room management and the way that you uh, organise your players and you deal with your players. This was a fascinating response to Chelsea's loss to Arsenal on the weekend. Oh, today I prefer to speak Italian, first of all, because I want to send a message to my players and uh, I want my message to be uh, uh, very clear. I don't want to, to make mistake uh, with my English. Um, but the fact of the matter is that I'm fine. Oh, it would appear that it's, this group of players are extremely difficult to motivate. What on earth has Sari done there, Paul? 
Yeah, look, I just think he's was very, very frustrated um, and chose probably the wrong way to uh, um, to release those uh, those frustrations. Uh, I think one one important thing is that he didn't uh, make it. Uh, 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 he didn't individualize it. He didn't you know select or, or sound out one player. He was talking about uh, about the team. So. Um, now I think modern day uh, management uh, is probably not the right way to go about it. I'm not sure if uh, players would like to uh, be criticised uh, like that, um, you know, publicly so soon after the game. So let's hope that he ha- that he doesn't lose the group because uh, I, for one, are a big fan of him, big fan of uh, of the style of play of Sadi, and uh, I think he's done a wonderful job in in a short space of time. You're sitting in that dressing room, and you see that I want to send a message to my players. What are you amongst the group doing? I'm thinking if you want to send a message, we're right here. You know, why well, you have to go through the media and do that? Um, you know, you see what happened with Mourinho at Manchester United and, and you lose the group. That's going to be a big problem. Um, so I think he, he's got some work to do there. It is, I just don't think it's the right way to go about it. If you want a message, uh, your playing group's there right in the change room. You talked, Paolo, about um, the job he's done. And you got to remember, his trip to Australia was just on the eve of the season. And he said, bring in this philosophy, this salary ball, change the way Chelsea play almost fundamentally. And it's almost the, the slow start everyone expected them to have. Uh, they didn't have it. That's almost masked the teething problems that have now surfaced now. Gonzalo Iguahin, as we speak, they're saying it's going to happen by this weekend. It has to happen. How big is that for him, Rich? Is that almost his last hurrah, particularly given playing N'Golo Kante out of position? His man, Jorginho, hasn't quite materialised like he might have hoped in the Premier League and it gets Hazard out of playing out of position, essentially. I also wonder what Neil Warnock would have thought of the fact that Sari came to England and is speaking a foreign language. So it was an interesting uh, aside on the weekend. But no, yeah, interestingly, Higuain hasn't had the best season. Uh, Milan, I don't think, but I guess that he, you look at him as more of a more of a poacher, more of a, an all-rounded striker. I mean, Murata's scored a fair few goals this season, all in all, but he just doesn't have the confidence. Playing players out of position is never ideal, so if you, know, you move Hazard back out wide, you get the best out of him. There are questions over Jorginho as, as to whether or not he's the man. I just think, ultimately, Sarri's on his way out. Really? You know, you know the way that Robin Abramovich operates this club? I mean, managers win silverware and six months later they're out, let alone they come in, they publicly criticise the players, they say they're hard to motivate when they're all players that have won things. I just don't see how this can end well for Sarri. Uh, you know, I agree that he's a, he's a good manager, he's a, brings something different to the club, but they've had so many changes over the past 15 years, and as soon as things turn negative... Ultimately, I think the the power will end up with the players, won't it? It's interesting because Conte wanted Iguain and didn't get him. So I think giving him Iguain is almost like, we're going to give you a chance. This is your final piece of your puzzle. But if it doesn't work now, particularly that we wanted you to embed this philosophy, then you've got until the summer. I don't know, that's my read only because it's like the first time that it looked like Roman Bramovich was saying, I want a style in here and I'm going to give you some sort of mandate. Um, but I wonder as a coach, Paul, would you rather be Sarri or Unai Emery right now? Jeez, uh, yeah. Oh, probably, um, probably Emery. Certainly after after that result, but you know also Tot- Tottenham's uh, sorry Arsenal's uh, you know had their issues and uh, um, you know I for one th- watched that game and, and saw the performance of Arsenal and was really really surprised at uh, um, of the level of intensity and hunger that they showed. Maybe because they were playing at home, maybe they smelt that Chelsea are down on confidence a little bit, um, but certainly you know the way they pressed them and and, and again that intensity that they they maintain for 90 minutes uh, Chelsea found it really really difficult to uh, to get into the flow of of, of their football and, and ultimately really really won the game quite easily i think the big difference between the two clubs is that arsenal fans expectations are lower Chelsea expect to win things every season or every second season. They expect immediate success. Arsenal have had a manager for 22 years. Emery's come in to rebuild. And even this month, he's not given the money to spend on players, but that's probably because they want a proper rebuild at the end of the season rather than spending overs in January for players that might not live up to it anyway. I think the result on the weekend was quite symbolic, the way they played, because it seems as though Arsenal... bit of light at the end of the tunnel and Chelsea are just stumbling. Yeah, and intensity too that you mentioned and flexibility. Um not playing Mesut Ozil again, I still try struggling to get my head around the departure of Aaron Ramsey, yet he was such a focal point of that win. And the fact that Emery was able to change formation, play his two guns up front, like Azed and Aubameyang, and Ramsey played in behind them in that diamond, and 
blew Jorginho out of the game. And that's where some of that criticism is coming in, that he wasn't able to adapt and find a solution in that circumstance. So um, I think Arsenal fans need to be patient with them. I think it's um, exciting times for them in the long term if they're prepared to do that. Exciting times for this guy? I'm not so sure. So I, I, I'm there since midday and the game is 7 o'clock and I just want to be in the dressing room when the players arrive. So I go there, nobody see me. The problem was to leave. Was to leave after. Okay? Ah. And Stewart put me in the basket. <laughs> and I go there with a little bit open so I could breathe. The, the WIFA guys following all these guys that were saying that I was there, they were there desperate to find me. So when I was there, Stuart closed the, the, the box. You couldn't breathe. I couldn't breathe. When, when he opened, the, when he opened the, the, the box, I was dying. <laughs> that audio, thanks to be in sport. And that is, of course, Jose Mourinho regaling the story of when he hid in a basket for Chelsea against Bayern Munich to get into the dressing room to see his players when he was banned uh, for a Champions League game. Luke, does that bring any memories or bells from something bizarre from your career where a coach is just gone above and beyond to try and break the rules geez not that i know not that far i mean that shows that's incredible dedication you know to the team and obviously how important he felt that that he was there um to deliver his message to the team so i guess that was desperate times for him at the moment that's quality stuff but you're not allowed to look at other teams training in an open environment (laughs) you can jump in a laundry basket maybe frank lampard wasn't looking at the washing when that incident happened because he had a very short memory the other day we're going to end off with Oh, here's a good yarn. Now, do you remember a couple of weeks ago when uh, Kamara went at Alexander Mitrovic and absolutely blew up and almost cost his side from the penalty spot for a game against Fulham? Claudio Ranieri said he wanted to kill him afterwards and we thought, well, that might be the end of it. You'd think he'd learn his lesson. Kamara has been banished from the first team. He's been sent to the reserves over the argument escalating over yoga. Paolo, he blew up because his mate was talking too much in a yoga session. What is the most bizarre blow-up that you saw during your career or, or, or an incident that's, uh, that re- <laughs> that you just couldn't believe actually happened? Yeah, look, I've, uh, I've actually seen a few, but probably the one that, uh, that stands out the most was uh, um, two Portuguese players, Sergio Consensal, who's now the coach of Porto, and at the time, and hopefully still, he's one of his best friends, uh, Fernando Couto, uh, you know, big star in Porto. Portuguese football played at Barcelona and it was during training and uh, uh, they both went in for a tackle and uh, no one thought anything of it but those two got up and started laying into each other which was uh, um, quite confusing given the fact that uh, we all knew that they were so close as friends and uh, um, yeah, really surprising and uh, unsavoury moment from the two Portuguese boys. Who won the fight? <laughs> <laughs> uh, well actually Sergio Consensal was was wound up more and uh, Fernando Coulter actually didn't believe that he wanted uh, to throw, you know, punches and, and, and Constantin went after him and Kautel was the, uh, the calmer of the two and, and, uh, and tried to, uh, to play it down a bit. So, again, it wasn't, uh, wasn't a pleasant moment. Maybe we need to revisit this conversation after Scott Brown signs to play in the A-League. There'll be some stories from down Western Melbourne. <laughs> yeah, look, and f- from my side of things... Uh, I mean, everyone remembers Kieran Dyer and Lee Bowyer on the field for Newcastle, but personally at Middlesbrough back in the day, and we had a you know a local boy in Middlesbrough, Curtis Fleming, is a tough old right back, and, and just signed a Carlos Marinelli, an Argentinian wonder kid. They called him the next Maradona, left foot, little tricky fella. He's only eighteen. Yeah, and one day he tried to try and you know take the take the mick out of uh, Curtis, putting it through his legs and all the rest of it, and Curtis is not having none of that. He's old school and. And he knows how to throw down. He's just grabbed him by, by the shirt and just lay, laid one straight on him. There was, there was no questions asked. I don't think Carlos knew what was going on. But, uh, yeah, so, yeah, you don't mess with a long person. <laughs> Sounds like a bit like myself and the producer Paul Meltz here after the end of each podcast as we re- review it and get into the nitty-gritty of what went right, what went wrong. One other one here, we've got a random post-game celebration. So, uh, Stefan El Shawari, I can never get that pronunciation right, he went off and celebrated a, a big, uh, big win on the weekend by going off to the snooker. Um, yeah, both in your careers, you must have been enjoyed a few wins and post-game celebrations in your time. Any any stand out that that story reminds you of? Uh, yeah, there's quite a few that stand out, but maybe not that I can share with you on this podcast. <laughs> it's a mature audience. Yeah. Go on. <laughs> the ones that get this far are mature, yeah. Absolutely. You got anything for us? 
Uh, not that can be said here. Uh, very good, very good. We'll save those for the off the record chat afterwards, um, gents. We're going to wrap up. Uh, it's, it's a bit of a, it's a, actually a tragic note um, to end off with, because we recall Wednesday morning and we're all digesting the football world's digesting the news that Cardiff's record signing Emiliano Sala coming from Nantes to the Premier League, um, he's still missing after his flight went down uh, over the Channel Islands. Uh, the Argentinian uh, who was signed for fifteen million pounds. Tragic on every level, and, and that's all we can say. And our thoughts and prayers are with not just the uh, the club, but his family and and his friends and everyone involved. But we we are we, not going to say too much because we don't know what will happen as by the time we listen to this podcast. I guess the question is, um, Rich, the the consequences for Cardiff, uh, tragic on every level, but with football football consequences too. Because what a blow for this club, who as they were you know looking for someone to lift them and inspire them at, at, at this point of the season. It's one of those ones where football's kind of inconsequential, Absolutely, isn't it? Yeah. It doesn't really matter too much and you just think it's it's a game. It happened at Leicester earlier in the season too where it didn't really matter what happened on the pitch after the incident, of course, with a helicopter at the stadium. But in this sense, I mean, Cardiff, uh, obviously, they're third from bottom at the moment. They've just signed someone, a club record signing that scored, you know, goals at will in Ligue 1 in France recently for Nantes and they would have felt good about it. Salah himself said that he can't wait to get there and get to work. But the club has already started to, to ditch, you know, some form and they've dropped into that bottom three. We know that Huddersfield are adrift. Fulham are looking more and more adrift. And Cardiff, the question is, how do they recover off the field, most importantly, but on as well? You, you sense it would, it would really kind of deflate them at the moment and how they bounce back from this. They're not training this week. You could probably expect some games to be postponed. But as we sit here, let's hope for a miracle because there's no confirmation on anything and, and stranger things have happened that they might find some good news. Let's hope. Let's absolutely hope and let's hope and pray. And, and that's exactly what's happened in Nantes, by the way, is they've uh, postponed this week's game and then this weekend's game has been postponed and apparently the, the, the picture painted at training there was that the players were inconsolable because he'd just said goodbye to them. So fragility of life and makes you also ensure you enjoy the good times uh, and enjoy something as simple and frivolous as football and that's what we're here to do have a bit of fun with it and enjoy it and entertain you um, and be a distraction from the main walks of life and that's what it should be all right gents thank you very much for joining us luke rich paolo great to see you all and as and as everyone um till the next gagan pod enjoy your football 